Well, how do I bear with immature Christians? The question is relevant to all maturing Christians, but today it comes from a listener named TJ, and I assume TJ is a young pastor. He writes this, hello, Pastor John, and thank you for this podcast. When you were a pastor, how did you deal with the grief or burden you felt about the members of your church uh, that seemed to not live like Jesus? How did you handle disappointment in people who are active participants in the church, but who always seem to lag far behind in personal growth and maturity? Pastor John, what would you say to TJ? There are two kinds of challenges that I hear uh, for the pastor or for the Council of Elders. One is the discernment challenge, and the other is the discouragement challenge. The discernment challenge is discerning when a person is not just weak and struggling, but is living out of a rebellious heart that looks weak and struggling, but deep down is very resistant to God and His Word, to the church, church leadership. It's not always easy to tell the difference between these two. Hmm. The sincere, humble, often failing, stumbler on the one hand, and the the person who's using weakness as a cover-up for hard, resistant, insubordinate, heart of disobedience. So that's the discernment challenge. The discouragement challenge is handling the discouragement of pouring your life out year after year and realizing that many in our congregation are not embracing the biblical vision we preach, and they're not being transformed into more holy and loving people. That can be really discouraging. And it sounds like TJ is asking mainly about that. But let me say a word about each of them uh, and then dwell on, on the second one that he, he seems to be most concerned about. A pastor needs a robust theology of sanctification that recognizes the dangers of perfectionism on the one hand and the dangers of carelessness about sin on the other hand. There really is a holiness without which we will not see the Lord, Hebrews twelve fourteen. So woe to those who are careless as they deal with their people, as if sin doesn't really matter. You're all justified by faith. It doesn't matter how you live. Woe to such pastors. And it is really true that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. First John 1, 8. So woe to the perfectionists, woe to the pastors who have no sense of proportion, no sense of balance, no sense of how to deal with people who are real Christians and yet stumble. So there is such a thing as a fake faith, believing in vain, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 15 too. And there is such a thing as weak faith, little faith, growing faith, embattled faith all of which are real faith. And I would only mention one thing in regard to how to handle the challenge of discernment here, and that is take careful stock how the struggler and the rebel respond to correction and admonition. The true struggling believer will be much more likely to humble himself and, and follow your counsel than the rebel will be. So that's my word about the discernment challenge. Now, with regard to the discouragement challenge, that people are not changing the way you've prayed and you've hoped and you've labored and you've counseled and you've preached, 
That's really depleting. I just said to my preaching class the other day, that very question came up. Somebody asked it. Hmm. I remember a man who sat in the second pew on the right-hand side in the old sanctuary we used to have, and then when we built a new one, he sat in the same second pew (laughs) in the new sanctuary. 15 years at least, and when he passed away, I could see no change in his life at Mm. all. No change in the way he talked about God, no change in the way he seemed to feel about God, no change in the way he talked to me about the concerns of his life, which are always something other than the Lord. That was really discouraging. So, so here are a few thoughts about, uh, that I hope will help about this discouragement factor. One, the New Testament recognizes this sort of thing happens. In other words, you're not alone. For example, Hebrews 15.11 says, We have much to say, and he's thinking about Melchizedek, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So he he doesn't seem to scold the pastors. Hmm. He's scolding the people. He's going to refer to the pastors later on, but he doesn't scold them for this. They've gone back. The people have gone backward. They didn't just stay still. They've gone backward. They've become dull of hearing, even as they listen to the teachers of the church. So it doesn't mean we excuse ourselves as pastors. We should test the content of our teaching and the prayerfulness of our lives and the example of our love. But what Hebrews does is to uh, call attention to the fact that there, there can be people in your church who actually go backward under your faithful teaching. Second observation, um, Paul makes clear that there will always be different kinds of disappointments in the people of our church. He says, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And he doesn't talk as if those categories are going to go away. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just work a little harder, elders. Come on. If you just work a little harder, you won't have to deal with idle people, faint-hearted people, weak people. No, I don't think that's what he means. That's, that's a perfectionistic notion that, that'll kill a pastor, I'll tell you. It'll kill a Sunday school teacher, whatever. If you if you think if I just work a little harder, all my people will move beyond idleness, faint-heartedness, mm-hmm. weakness. There won't be anything to struggle with anymore in my church if I succeed. That's perfectionism about to kill a pastor. Third, be patient with them all. Patience is a huge necessity in the ministry. And the key to patience is the double look forward and backward. Forward to the promises of God to turn all apparent setbacks into stepping stones. Genesis 50, verse 20. They meant it for evil, you meant it for good. God means this slowness of their sanctification for your good, Pastor. And then the backward look about the patience of God in our lives, the pastor's own life. How can I be harsh or impatient with a struggler since I have failed God so many times? And he has drawn me back again and again and again. And here's the fourth observation. There's a great reward coming for pastors who keep on loving and faithfully teaching and uh, preaching their people rather than being embittered and cynical and 
domineering. First Peter 5, 3, shepherd the flock of God, not domineering over those in your charge, being good examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That crown of glory is going to be given to faithful shepherds, whether the sheep have been responsive or not. In other words, when when it feels like the rewards here are slim, don't forget the unfading crown of glory. And I think the last thing I would say is be encouraged that God's word does not come back empty. You you may think so. I mean, it may look like this is not producing the fruit. So what I did, I mean, he asked, what did you do, Pastor John? I memorized And I preached to myself these words from Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And I preached that to myself over and over again. How many times did I get up from the front pew, walk toward the pulpit, saying to myself, it's not going to come back empty. It's not going to come back empty. So we we may not see the effect uh, in this life. Some of it God lets us see, and much of it he does not let us see. He knows how to manage our pride, and he knows how to manage our discouragements. So take heart, preach the word, love the people, God is at work. Yeah, that's a good word for pastors uh, and their stability in the labors. Thank you, Pastor John. And thank you for the question, TJ. Well, you can ask your own question to Pastor John, or you can search or browse our 1,600 episodes that we have in our archive, and you can subscribe to the podcast. You can do all those things at desiringgod.org forward slash John. That's a web address, desiringgod.org forward slash John. And coming up, part two of our Providence series is up on Wednesday. We're going to look at the affectional side of Providence and how seeing and savoring this Providence awakens and sustains wonder and awe and holy reverence and the kind of joy inside of us that leads us into true, God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated worship. Cannot wait to look at that. That's next time. I'm Tony Ranke. We'll see you on Wednesday.